Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather. Political discussion from the outside may sound like screaming and crying. I'm Adam, this is Hugh. Hello. And we are here. I'm back! We, love, we did this last time, literally. I'm not, yeah. I'm not jinxing it. Um, yeah, we had a long, long time off. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Lots of things happened. I got COVID. I got DMV. I did lots of things. And then Christmas. And then... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm less enjoyed. I just got good old fashioned sad. <laughs> and now getting better because I'm back into war. Uh, so in many, is that a symptom of my depression? the original the original disease? <laughs> is it a symptom of my depression? My my miniatures. Am I hoping that the um the poisoning from acrylics will bring me out of it? Yeah, I think they might. I think they might. It tastes pretty good. It's been cold, so I've been um priming my miniatures in a basement. <laughs> an unventilated basement. Perfect. And I know it must have been like pretty bad on my lungs. I was wearing a mask, but it must have been pretty bad because when I went in two days later, it still reeked of paint. It smells good. <laughs> Glue like, and paint, yeah. They smell real I good. Liked the, uh, Kids are right. I always like the smell of polystyrene cement. I haven't mm. got that this time, but polystyrene cement's pretty great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're back. We're back, yeah. and we're mainly coming back because. We're going to be releasing a bunch of special. We don't talk about the weather NFTs. Yeah, this is a very special, very, very project. Exciting. We're very excited to uh, to to, to take so. part in. Um, it's a really good way us... of democratizing art and just empowering yeah. artists. Yeah, because they are the they're the ones who matter mm-hmm. in all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the artists, the creatives. Mm-hmm. He said, <laughs> gesturing to two of us sitting on a couch yammering. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's very important. Uh, I think it's it's really useful. Um, people ask me all the time, when is the NFT? When, when are, are you releasing an NFT? Why won't you release an NFT? I was yeah. quite insistent on the NFT, <laughs> so please, the NFT. <laughs> yeah. So now we're back. We're doing it. We're back, and we're doing it. Again. Have you been? Did you look at the news this week? Um. So I took the oath, obviously, to uh, not look at the news, <laughs> and I don't feel like uh, too too bad for for breaking that. Um, but the news is very insistent that mm-hmm. you look at the news. And they were asking, why are you not looking at the news? And uh, I do look at the news occasionally. I even watched a whole news program the other day. Wow. Not going to do that again. I've... Admittedly, my wife was sitting on the remote. so <laughs> I've been listening to PMQs. Listening. Not oh. watching it because I can't watch the brain. Oh, That's what I've been turning on the radio to listen to, to, listen to PMQs. And, okay... It's very funny, and whilst I understand that them peddling a far-right conspiracy theory about Keir Starmer literally <laughs> letting a paedophile go free, <laughs> while I know that's bad, it's also hilarious that these people, these fucking horrid scumbags that caused so much suffering over the last six years... Spreading their bullshit about Corbyn. Just seeing now how much they fucked it. How they've just, they've just, this is what, this is the world that they wanted. This is the world that they made. And yes, when people go knocking on doors in the next election, they are going to hear Gordon Brown sold all the gold. Yeah. Labour Party is full of anti-Semites. And Keir Starmer loves paedophiles. Oh, there's no money left as yeah. well. Apparently that, that came, yeah, that came today, back. Apparently. Um, yeah, and Keir Starmer loves paedophiles. And that's before the John Warboys stuff is being like slammed again. 
Oh yeah, God, because uh, it was Carrie Simons was like a victim. She was one of the one of the people. I, I, okay, I think she was one of the people trying to get him more convictions or something. I can't remember. Mm. I, I haven't looked too much. She was that. intimately associated but with yeah. that case. But yeah. yes, and so was Starmer. <laughs> you see, I get, like I kind of think like you watch you watch the kind of permutations. And I can't change what the news talks about. I can't. I have literally no power over yes, you. Can stuff. you chose it? Because if you didn't, you would turn off. <laughs> and apparently, that is all the logic we have ever needed for the last forty years. Is if you didn't like it, no one would watch it. But then everybody stopped watching it and stopped reading it, and they're still doing it. So, yeah. I, might I suggest there's a little bit of an ideological, little amount of a lot ideological content there. Yeah. Um, it's 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 weird. We talked obviously through the break about Partygate and mm. how how this was going to happen and it's like good god like I, I don't give a shit i do not i do not fucking give a shit like i would happily see boris dragged out of there but is this really going to be what honor do you gain well okay <laughs> from this being your thing this I, being the thing that you go on about endlessly for months i am annoyed that covid restrictions have massively negatively affected my money and my daughter's life mm. and while that was going on they obviously but I didn't think they would do any less where I get where like and so I am annoyed um it's obviously not going to work to get rid of him that way no but the thing that makes me really get fucked off with the whole thing is I don't believe that the Labour Party weren't the Labour front bench weren't doing it. I refuse to believe that Starmer like that. There's a picture of you know Starmer drinking a beer and think he must have been doing it more than times than that. And they must have all been because doing it. everybody did. Because I, I I have I have well, no, to, I, I have to believe that there's I a bunch of people who at the very least no but who, who at the very least who wanted to do that and yeah. like, flirted with yeah you know who saw but, who saw all that stuff with Boris and other like before the before this kind of developed into like stages of criminal investigations mm. which i think people like uh, on a in a like a, a subconscious level kind of recoil from it's like he must have done something bad we all know he's done something bad he's just been doing bad things all the time mm-hmm. but yeah when criminal investigations get going suddenly that becomes like a uh, like a trigger to when this was just parliamentary procedure i imagine there were more people than you'd think maybe not loads but more people than you think who said yeah i would have done that yeah I would have done exactly what he did. Well, he's working so hard. Yeah, there's so many people defending it as well, which is very ugh. But the thing that really gets me is like the people who like cry. Do you know the the thing of like while my nan was dying on her own, he was partying. Yeah, those people who are obviously very upset are one hundred percent being manipulated by people like the current Labour leadership who couldn't. Like, genuinely don't believe they give a shit it's no different it's to how a, they felt about brexit it's sort of like a, they yeah i'm sure they really like yeah um, like the it's that, it's that Miller weird, saying like all she cared Gina about Miller. really was getting rid of corbyn it's like yeah it's they don't care they're just they, they are obviously using it it's, it's weird because the dynamics of this yeah are very similar to brexit in that the people who you think would be really pushing it hmm. really aren't because hmm. like yeah in, in a larger sense you think of this as like is this a is this a punishment for COVID? Because that's been the kind of narrow-brained mm. way of explaining this in a meta sense. Mm. That this is 
we're almost out of what we assume would be the last lockdown. Um, well, I mean, you know, mm. the restrictions are lifted now, but you know, we're almost like past what people assume is the last mm. wave of COVID. It might be, it won't be. I don't know. I don't know enough about epidemiology. But is this now punishment for everything that happened in in COVID? Some, but lots of people have died, largely silently. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the, it, it's it's weird how it can feel like lots of people died, except it's all we've been talking about. But yeah. and yet that is the case. Yeah, that's maybe slightly more worrying than you know whether somebody broke rules. But anyway, it's done now. Mm. There is no more. There's there's never going to be any prosecutions about all of the billions and billions of pounds that's gone away. Mm-hmm. There's never going to be any question about whether it was the correct thing because there are two sides so polarised, mm-hmm. and I don't usually say this because I like division in politics, but there are two sides so polarised they cannot accept any other explanation other than we should have locked down harder and sooner or we shouldn't have locked down at all. Mm-hmm. So there can be no agreement about retrospectively about what actually happened. Yeah. And people were disrupted in a way that was incredibly damaging but also at the same time irritating now irritating isn't as important but politically that Mm -hmm. produces an effect of uh, Mm -hmm. and they want to see someone suffer and it's going to be him but it's not the people who suffered from covid who are pushing this and it's also not the labor front bench and the fub p people it's the real opposition it's the media there's enough of folk like Old 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 Tories are very angry. Like one of my main things I listen to is like LBC, and those old Tories are livid. Now the slightly younger sure. Tories, all ten thousand of them. Um, yeah, but, but, that's know, a, I mean, I know what you mean. But yeah, no, they're the ones yeah, who'll be. They're the ones who they they rely on to vote in like May, because mm. it's not. I, young I've, I've like looking at the way that he. I mean, they've they've deployed the typical kind of def- like media defence techniques. So it's like saying nothing, saying we're going to wait and see, yeah. saying we're wait we've got an inquiry, we're waiting for that. The inquiry gets nobbled. Mm-hmm. We're waiting for the police investigation. <laughs> All of the little things, and then once you've gotten past the null space, the void of them not saying anything, saying a little thing, saying mm-hmm. a bigger thing, saying a little thing followed by a little thing that adds up to a big thing. Then you get the attack dogs out, your Nadine Dorries and, mm. and that lot. So nothing went wrong. This mm. is basically Churchill. <laughs> Something along those lines. Yeah. And, and it is disgusting that you would even bring it up. You get to that point and you've got the kind of desperation techniques. I don't know why, because you've been defending the same thing. You don't mm. need any more defence. But Boris immediately blurts out the Keir Starmer, Jimmy Savile thing. Mm. And I imagine a lot of the Tories now are pretty fucking pissed that he's blown their line for the next election. Yeah. I mean, okay, yeah, Corbyn proved that you can use a line early on in a kind of in a time period and if you just keep coming back to it eventually it gets more and more. And maybe that's the case with Keir Starmer. But I imagine they're thinking in traditional political terms, which is once you make a big fuss about mm. something, it goes away. But did you see? That's a thing that maybe Um the the BBC did a thing um dispelling that myth that Starmer loves Savile. Yeah. Um, they did was it whole... by put it? Was it by um, photoshopping his head onto like <laughs> somebody? Who, no, on like top of fully, the pops? fully went through about why this is not true. In a way that and the Nolan sisters on yeah, top well, of the pops you, in the seventies. In a way that you would sort of expect the media to do when someone is obviously lying about a political leader. But you know that they they hadn't they haven't done before. They didn't do it before. <laughs> but now they're doing it. Yeah. They're doing it for Starmer. Mm. Of course they would. Yeah. Because they're the real opposition. Like. I, I, 
I have also felt that this is. You remember that question? I think I think we voiced it on the on the pod mm. some some time ago. But we were wondering at the start of this whole Tory thing whether this was going to be the start of a new pattern, like it was going to be the one party state mm. elections were basically going to be a formality. Mm. It was going to be like the LDP you'd have in Japan. Mm. You'd have the party would just basically the real election would be the party deciding which leader was going to run. Mm. Or whether it was going to eventually revert to more of this like cyclical. I don't even know if they favour one government or the other. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's that the media. Mm. I think they like the idea that they can have views on the upswing of promising new government. He's going to do something different. Getting a, a whole load of new, basically elected celebrities. Mm. They're going to do something different. He's not your normal politician. And then on the downswing, it's like, problems today in government. He's under real fire. And yeah. I actually think this might have answered what's happened, But and it's the way that they're trying to enforce it. They want a government that's basically, like ideologically, they want a government that's basically strong, but also very, very decrepit and very open to bullying. Yeah. Very like vulnerable. And you would think that someone like Boris and all of these, like the, up, the new uptake, the new Tory... Mm what that's worth would be more invulnerable to that kind of thing but mm. yeah, turns out they they look really sheepish and they mm. look really embarrassed yeah maybe they're lying maybe they're just maybe they're just like oh, i don't care about this but i've got to look like i take it seriously but you know in in, in class terms that kind of media action yeah, it's got nothing to do with, like, it is ideological because it completely stops any kind of, we're not talking about fucking billions squirreled away. Mm. We're not talking about the mechanics of managing a mass society in an epidemic. We're talking about parties. Mm-hmm. And it's so fucking ironic because for so many years it was very, it, it very much felt like the calibre of political like personalities we were getting through were people who were basically PR people. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in the sense of they wanted to organise the charity event. They wanted yeah. to to be the mayor who opened the, the county fair. Yeah, You know, they liked that aspect of it. It's a lot of that feeling drove mm-hmm. the like elite political response to Brexit. Mm-hmm. Hence Brexit Day and ringing the Big Bell Bong... Uh, Bing, Big Ben bonds and all that shit. Yeah, all that they just wanted to be those people for that photo op because mm. I mean they realised what what a spectacle mm. politics had become. But it's it's so ironic that like yeah, of course he's not a state builder. He's not a world historical figure. He's Boris is the totem of the of the party of the of the party planner, the party organiser. He wants to be there for the good mm-hmm. times and as you've said, tell old people good things. And of course, of course, he would be caught organising a party in something that is not evidence of that thesis, <laughs> but does like chime with it in a yeah. weird way that he would get brought down because of a party he organised. <laughs> Multiple parties he organised. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think, you know, it's... I just feel very strongly that if we keep... We, I don't know even know who we is. That's obviously a very important question mm-hmm. for the left or for progressives or whatever you want to call them. Um, if we keep sub and 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 you know fubpees as well to an extent. If they keep sublimating their political desires to refract through what the media is telling them mm. and, and the way that the, what the media wants to be important, you do get shit like this. You're never going to talk about Brexit ever again. Mm-hmm. You're never going to talk about welfare reform you're never going to talk about fucking housing 
uh, electricity, bills, standard of living. You're never going to end up talking about that because it's not like entertaining mm. and it's not what the media has, has set. And you know this could you know, whatever that could be fucking twenty years ago that we were saying this, but yeah. it's so much more like crystal clear when you've got the comparison of got done for having a party as opposed to massive dropping living standards. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, like I don't think people quite get like the because the media is largely insulated from what it's going to be like but the next couple of months are going to be really rough financially yeah and they are and the problem the other problem is as well like because the media is not just it's not just a byline uh, an editorial that you don't notice anymore because these people have moved on to tv mm. lucrative tv appearances on question time and Newsnight and whatever and their tweets of course twitter they are personalities in and of themselves, and they f- they go into their sector, mm. into their profession on that basis that they've got to make a name for themselves. They're all so fucking gleeful. That's the thing I've got out of the last three months. Mm. Like, they should not allow be allowed to just have obvious relish as they're re- breathlessly reporting mm-hmm. just fucking nonsense. They were so sad in the Corbyn era. Mm-hmm. They were so like, this is, I, I can't believe, I'm honestly, what are we going to do? On, I, like, can't believe I can't believe we're talking about any kind of welfare reform. This is yeah. not what I signed up for. D- to d- be a uh, 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 did you hear what it was today? Who wants to plant some trees? Why can't my children breathe? <laughs> Okay, so on closer reflection and seeing some of the responses, we've decided not to get involved in NFTs at this time. We severely regret any uh, any any offence caused by our embrace of NFTs. Um, That's the last you will ever hear of us talking about NFTs now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's one I'm of those. It's, about... No, it's one of those things of like I would I would like a chance to like rant using my like fucking 20 year old economic mm. uh like schooling that i did mm. but like i just can't i no. just can't um actually no we will fully come back to do it we'll probably do an entire episode on nfts if vince mcmahon fully embraces them and we'll just be talking about vince mcmahon and his embracing <laughs> of them <laughs> um yeah so for the main uh bit this week uh we're going to continue on from where we left off mm-hmm. um Last time we talked about uh, 9-11, our memories of, of what happened on September the 11th, and about kind of the spectacle and how the imagery of, of 9-11 stayed with us and conditioned some of the patterns we fall into, you know, this this kind of jumpy flinchiness that we've internalised as, mm. as political action and the focus on, the, like, the image, that image of, of the moment of trauma frozen in time, able to be just revisited forever and constantly brought up until I'd say probably 2009 maybe Mm. after the Iraq invasion had completely failed Um, but I wanted to talk about something else that like I think has been a real lasting effect of of 9-11 and that's on the kind of the conspiracy aesthetic Mm. is the closest thing I can like uh, the structure of conspiracy and the internet conspiracy Um, 
the forms and tropes and the ways that conspiracies kind of extend, unwind, and you know their choice of their choice of targets and and how it how it develops over time. I think nine eleven represents this transition between the older form of conspiracy aesthetic, the sort of the Milton William Cooper, um, Art Bell, X Files, end, Kennedy assassination, UFOs, you know that kind of Denver Airport, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, um, and. As nine eleven kind of happens, and then the the reaction to that, and the the following on events, you know, anthrax scare, um, Operation Jade Helm, remember that in like two thousand ten, it was like going to be a big army, uh, like U.S. Army um, exercise that went across a few states, and people got really mad hmm. that it was going to be like that was the new world order coming to put them all in FEMA camps, yeah, um, FEMA camps themselves, hmm. um, uh, and. You know the, the the tea party and that, and into kind of QAnon and COVID truthers hmm. because obviously we have a, a amazing example of the effects of conspiracy theory in like right now, mm-hmm. like it's happening right now. Um, and I, although this current environment is a result of kind of large, hugely conditioned by the internet, I don't think it's solely a result of of the medium. Like you'll find a lot of liberals saying, "Well, the internet has allowed these same conspiracies to spread quicker and further." Mm. Um, and you know, oh, bad actors are able to spread their bad theories further because of the internet. And I, I just think like people have always fashioned theories on how the world operates from the mediums they encounter every day. So, you know, medieval peasant looks for signs of occult collusion in the movement of cats and the entrails of birds, the trees, things that you would come across every day. And of course, why well, that's, would... That's real. Uh, yeah, no, sorry, I forgot. That is, that's, that's 100% real. Um, but also you're forcing it. You are forcing it a little bit, you know? It's very, very hipster very hipster divination you know use use a proper thing and use like shattered pieces of glass on a on a pavement <laughs> or the movement of water into drains stuff you come across every day <laughs> we stand you're in you're into your, your broadband drunk and drop my pint yeah and they go don't clean it up there's a message here i need a moment i need another drink that is the message <laughs> looking at your broadband connection speed yeah i do look at that a lot maybe i could start divining stuff from that no, but like, you know, the modern capitalist subject would look for signs in like the movement of ingredients in Coca-Cola mm-hmm. or, you know, um, photographs of celebrities mm. on the Internet doing like diamond signs and stuff. Mm. Like it's what you're in front of every day. Yeah. So naturally, conspiracy theorists would pick and choose from from that kind of thing. Yeah. Obviously, like there's there's a difference between um, the kind of organized conspiracy theories that are like actually quite fun to mm. get into, like, you know. Kennedy assassinations and you know lizards and all that kind of thing those overwhelming kind of mm. world changing like theories that wrap everything holistically mm. into one but there's also kind of the smaller urban legends that have very much been used by like political groups for many many decades like yeah. throughout the kind of 70s and 80s you had urban legends about like um people on acid jumping off buildings or welfare queens driving fancy cars or like carjacking one of my favorites and it's come back recently is carjacking gangs like leaving signs or like flashing your car (laughs) a certain number of times and that that proved that you were vulnerable to a a carjacking you know you stop at a petrol station somebody puts like a bit of red paint or like a a, a little bandana on the back of your car and that means you're open for a 
carjacking. <laughs> I love yeah. that one. Um, and you could say for a, probably for a significant number of people, these stories kind of constitute their practice of politics. I mean, it's Facebook people. Mm. This is how they, if they do partake in any kind of collective attempt to understand their world or interact with people in a, on a basis of being able to indicate winners and losers, bad guys mm-hmm. and good guys, and that having effects on how you um, apportion scarce resources at the base of it, mm. that is kind of how they, that is how that process starts. It's literally just sharing those stories, like, you know, Reaganism with, yeah, the stories about welfare queens driving Cadillacs, or in, in Britain it was, it's uh, satellite TV. Mm-hmm. It's they have satellite TV, therefore we need to cut welfare. It's like, yeah. is that is that true? Were they using that? Did they buy the satellite TV? Because the welfare isn't enough to buy mm-hmm. the flat screen TV, the satellite dish, and mm. all that kind of stuff. Um, going back to nine eleven, it's it's worth remembering that even in two thousand one, the internet was not really the kind of professionalized cultural internet we know today. <laughs> pioneered mainly by people who were raised on the internet, as opposed mm. to people who'd kind of come from outside and were bringing whatever they had to it the early internet was like was fashioned a lot of the early message boards and stuff and bbs's were fashioned by like um counterculture burnouts Mm. and people like that for whom the internet was like this second coming of the collective consciousness that they had maybe got into in the 60s um some of the early boards like um like boing boing and mondo 2000 and um cult of the dead cow i think was that Mm. a message board or was that just a group i can't remember uh, I just remember these names as being intimately associated with the kind of with the early internet, mm. um, and you know you cross section that with the uh, kind of libertarian people, you know, arguing about age of consent and stuff like that. It's still a joke on the internet because that is that is where the internet came from. Those yeah, were, yeah, early things, um, and naturally the people are, the people on these boards in kind of like the late nineties, early two thousands had those similar interest groups that they brought from outside that they may have had in countercultural circles. Um, so you had this thriving conspiracy theory community on the internet, thriving, developing throughout the 90s, like the mailing lists and web rings, stuff like that on the Kennedy assassination, Hollow Earth, and even like real life things like uh, UFOs. Hmm. Um, you know, that was the, the, I've mentioned it before, the Milton William Cooper school. Yeah. Like the 20th century. He was a, a radio host who wrote Behold a Pale Horse, hmm key in the militia movement and was really into kind of ufology and had said he had discussions with the navy about how kennedy was assassinated because he was going to reveal the truth about extraterrestrials which (laughs) i firmly believe um aside from like any stated political beliefs the early internet's emphasis on uh the outre and obscene Mm. um, the ability and the impulse to talk irrelevantly about irreverently (laughs) Irrelevantly and irreverently, to be honest, <laughs> about taboos yeah. like age of consent and yeah. let's say you know deaths in disa- in disasters. Yeah, these kind of environment, this kind of environment was like tailor made to absorb an event like nine eleven. Like when did you first? Yeah. When Rotten, did you first Rotten see Rotten your nine eleven joke? But like Rotten.com was like just it's biggest yes. just before nine eleven. Yeah, absolutely. I've, yeah. God, I've forgotten about Rotten.com. Yeah, yeah. Um. And it, yeah, it, that's which the... like ruined kids' opportunity to just find a dead body on a railroad track. Like 
Like Stephen King told me I should have seen my first dead body. <laughs> I was going to say you. Did you believe that you <laughs> That's what I hoped to see my first dead body. But Rotten.com stole that from me. All of life has been a disappointment because you have not lived the life of the kids from Stand By Me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everything could have been so much better. Um, so I've gathered some of uh, my favourite conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Some of them I remember. Mm-hmm. Some of them I've uh, plucked off the internet from... Records made at the time because everything is still there, yeah. which is probably rare. You couldn't say that about like the Challenger disaster mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, I've gathered some of my favourite conspiracy theories, urban legends, red herrings, and the general ephemera of mm-hmm. the months around nine eleven to uh, to take a little trip back and you know. So on the day, obviously, like. I, I said last time, I didn't yeah. find out until about five o'clock, but yeah. immediately went on message boards and seeing how people were reacting. And yeah, it was, there were people already predicting that it was uh, Osama bin Laden, um, that this would be used as a pretext to start a military campaign. Now, whether that says more about the kind of pattern recognition of the US state, yeah, or whether it just again says that it, people were prepared for shocking and 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 like almost like desired shocking and outrageous events to to happen yeah um there were a bunch of kind of things that went around in in the first few days Mm. um a couple of examples let's see um of course the rumors actually like started in on the day itself the rumors and the urban legends were already going around as soon as it happened um because there was an absolute vacuum of actual information about what had happened here or what had caused it um apparently there were thousands of because in the days following there were thousands of planes that had to be rerouted to other airports and and grounded Mm. there started to be rumors that there had uh, they had been found with bombs on them Mm. despite the fact that the attacks hadn't used bombs yeah but people had already started to kind of like try and fit it into a a pattern that maybe they recognized from the golden age of (laughs) aviation hijacking which was the uh which was the 70s um Rumours kind of even followed the people as they were checking into hotels, like the passengers into hotels. There were um, bomb threats at the hotels that passengers of the planes had been evacuated to, something no one could have known. Hmm. And they had to have been following where people were being evacuated Hmm. to. Because like also the the hijackers couldn't have done that because how would they possibly know where (laughs) every single plane would be and what hotel they would be evacuated to? You know what I mean? It's like It's that kind of thing of like, Oh no! I, I have to absolutely imagine there are bombs everywhere. Yeah, it's all, it's incredible. It is. That's that is genuinely <laughs> baffling. Like at that point, if your enemy does that much forward planning and is that aware of how all the different systems work, just let them be in charge. Oh yeah, they won. Yeah. <laughs> um. So this started with um, fake photo guy, which was mm-hmm. where I what we mentioned last time. Yeah. Uh, that, we, that made me think about all this. Um. Fake photo guy was uh, it was a man with a woolly hat and a backpack on top of the World Trade Center. New York stretched behind him, and a really clear image of a plane flying just below where he's standing. Um, and it was always like presented as being recovered from the debris mm. of the attacks. Yeah. Um, apparently, it was a Hungarian tourist taken from 1997, obviously, and, and it, he then edited it on the on the day <laughs> and sent it round to his friends, <laughs> like we had, where we edit pictures and send them to our little our group chat. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, you couldn't get away with that kind of stuff now because there'll be so whenever something happens now there's so much Twitter is full of so much bullshit 
Like back then, though, you could like really cut through. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a there's a very significant it's like the wild part. west. Of there is a significant part of it that understands trolling. understands why that edge, yeah, perhaps died off, mm. but also thinks that there should be a place for that. They mm. shouldn't be everywhere, but yeah. should, there should be a place for that. Maybe it is just the DMs, but um, yeah, this this image um, was like a lot of those early images were kind of partially presented as either a joke or a shock or mm. as a tribute to the power of chance. Yeah, because you're still processing it. How could this thing possibly happen? It must be there must be fortuitous mm. artifacts from this. There must be lucky artifacts mm. coming from this that explain exactly what happened, even if it is only. How did this plane fly into this building? Something you'd seen, yeah. but something that you couldn't comprehend because it was in motion. Yeah, you know, it's this weird, weird kind of thing. Um, and as I mentioned, like last time, there's also this kind of freeze frame of gullible innocence on his on his face. Yeah. He looks so normal, like a tourist, like like lightly equipped, but he's got on, he's got a good coat on. <laughs> you know, he's, he looks like he's prepared for winter, which yeah. is funny because it was September. The, it was uh, early September, so apparently it was quite warm. Um, but yeah, a kind of like emotional metaphor that people would never be able to be so unprepared again, yeah. you know. Um, you know, he's he's possibly like, the, he's as close to the disaster as anybody could ever get, mm. and yet he never saw it coming. Mm. You know, writes itself. Yeah, well it's like with um, the obsession with the phone calls and the recordings of people. Yes. Um, yeah. To the point of them using it for um, Love Actually. <laughs> What? That's the whole point. The point is about the um, the, the start is like um, it's, it's Prime Minister not Tony Blair um, talking about the phone calls on nine eleven were all messages of love. Whereas I've I so much phoned you and said I'm gonna fucking haunt you. I'm gonna haunt you so fucking much. I've seen I... the mould lines of your fucking models that you didn't trim. <laughs> I'm coming for you. Oh yeah, <laughs> tell me how the mould lines are on your plane, <laughs> Flight ninety two. <laughs> but yeah. Um, okay, the other one that I remember really clearly is the um, the face in the smoke. I hadn't seen this. So this was like again, most of these are of a type. And That's there a are good a number face. of them. It's a good fucking photo. It's an interesting photo. So it's like an image of um, the, the the two towers on fire, and there's smoke uh, coming up, and it looks like basically a kind of triangular. Thin face with maybe a, like the shape a pointy, of like the green man shape. Yeah, face. like a, a pointy beard and something. And you know, on the surface, just another kind of timely Photoshop. I presume it's photoshopped or very heavily suggested. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it looks like one of those photoshops designed to appeal to particularly a kind of low key Christian evangelist yeah. um, element of audience, but. You know, the real interpretation here was whether you thought this represented like the devil being present at a site of great evil or whether you thought he was emerging from the World Trade Center itself. Because this was often sent with a message saying that um, this was like Satan being awakened from his hidey hole of usurers <laughs> and New World Order people. Ah. So it's like these like images are not are, are contested even yeah. in the days after. Like you're not quite sure. It's like... Look, we have Who to admit that is definitely a face, the face of the devil. That is completely without question. Now, the question is, is he there watching it or was he asleep, dead but dreaming in the gift shop of Tower 2? <laughs> that is all that's up for debate in this situation. <laughs> he was trying to find the bathroom like Homer. <laughs> um, 
and yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's obviously yeah, a very American Protestant idea that you know the devil would make his himself known through like shows of power mm. as opposed to shows of persuasion as he is in other traditions mm-hmm. within the Christian Church. But yeah, it's it's a it's a very odd that your first instinct would be I need to find God in this mm-hmm. somehow. I need to find God or the devil in this, otherwise it's utterly meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> um, next we have like my favourite one. Um, you know, just my personal favourite. Uh, I'm not going to judge anyone for thinking that it's, you know, like, basic bitch mm-hmm. or anything. Nostradamus. Yeah. Like, I fucking heard that so much yeah. in the days after 9-11. So a couple of the uh, things that, like, Nostradamus predicting 9-11 uh, passages that went around. Two steel birds will fall from the sky on the metropolis. <laughs> metropolis, definitely a word he knew. Yep. The sky will burn at 45 degrees latitude. <laughs> <laughs> Fire approaches the great new city. I mean, like 400 years old by that point. Yeah. 300, 400 years old. Uh, immediately, a huge f- scattered flame leaps up. Within months, rivers will flow with blood. The undead will roam the earth for little time. <laughs> for a little. Undead are allowed to roam the earth for little time, is a treat. <laughs> there was a different one that said, In the city of God, will there will be a great thunder? Two brothers York torn apart. The city of God. Two brothers... <laughs> Two brothers torn apart by chaos while the fortress endures. Oh, the Pentagon. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Um, The great leader will succumb. The third big war will begin when the big city is burning. Nostradamus, 1654. Uh, The fact that Nostradamus died in 1566 (laughs) or that steel wasn't invented. Well, no, that's a a testament to how good a predictor he was. (laughs) It makes me so mad because, like... Have you seen his word or predictions? He's got all of them so far. Jesus. Need to, need to find his original writings. All of his original writings. Um, Nostradamus stuff used to be so common mm. on the early internet. Yeah. Like, it was just the point when normal people were starting to use the internet more regularly and do, like, email rings and chain emails and stuff like that. And I'm so mad it got superseded by other stuff dumb guys say to sound smart. Yeah. Because um, it, it was a simpler, it's so simple and innocent. Well, it got replaced it's like, in the bookshops. So it's like in the self-help section. So it got replaced with like the, like the is it the promise? Well, you know, you know I me, mean, those kind of stuff. Oh, like, like pro, uh, the, the oath is it? Yeah, the oath? yeah, you know the ones. Or the promise, the one where it's like everybody's hid, uh, like the greatest minds of history have hidden it, yeah. hidden the method to getting what you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah you see, that's it's it's. Because you never quote Nostradamus to help yourself. No. Other than to make yourself sound like mystical and knowledgeable. <laughs> you, do, you do it to help other people because they yeah. need to know these predictions as well. Yeah. So it's selfless is what I'm saying. <laughs> All I'm saying is I want for it to become the astrology of left-wing men. <laughs> you know? Yes. You know the guys like described in that, uh, what was it? I can never remember the first line of it, but the people who like burial and go to Cafe Oto and yeah. th- that, that, left-wing thing uh, yeah. the, a certain type of left-wing man yeah uh, you know the one who owns one burial album and that hasn't listened to him in ages yeah I, Nostradamus should become the astrology of those guys <laughs> and it would be great it would be great because it's also it's like that is the hallmark of like an older like an older mm. more like not traditional culture exactly but like a, a a culture that has a better religious pattern than this this weird christian one we have yes of like i'm i'm dieting because i need to balance out the bad things with the good things you know yeah. protestant like give and take mm. shame culture i like it much better as like ah 
Nostradamus, you see, he said in 1566. <laughs> it's colourful, it's yeah. vibrant, it's that's a sense of joyous continuity. I don't know. It's yeah. very appealing. I'm a Hindu now. <laughs> <laughs> no one's brought up Nostradamus. I'm gonna be the first secular Hindu. No one's brought up Nostradamus to talk about like a new iPhone. Yeah, exactly. Um, there were also other kind of less grim stories mm-hmm. uh, that came out because there always are. There's mm-hmm. always, I'd say, probably two fifths mm. hopeful, religious, miraculous stories, mm-hmm. positive stories that come out when uh, anything like this happens. Um, my favourite one is the Surfing Man. Um, there were stories of a man using a piece of metal or wood mm. as a makeshift boogie board, falling eighty stories in the collapsing World Trade Centres and surviving relatively unharmed. That's amazing. Surfing either the rubble as it came down, yeah, or the air currents brought out by the you know the the huge amount of of, of space suddenly not occupied by mass. Which it rules. Imagine thinking that that's a real thing, that you literally surfed down the World Trade Center. When did Escape from LA come out? Because Escape oh, that's from like nineteen ninety two. Because that has Snake Plissken surfing, or maybe nineteen ninety surfing through LA on the like the tsunami that's caused by an earthquake, and then jumping into Steve Buscemi's Cadillac. <laughs> that has, and it also has them attacking from like hang gliders. So I'm saying that this has prepped people for believing that someone could boogie board down the rubble of one of the towers. It's the equivalent of like light, lighting your cigarette at the ground zero of a nuclear explosion in terms of it's so cool it never happened. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Apparently this one does actually have a little okay. kernel of truth to it. Yeah. Um, there was a survivor called uh, Pasquale Buzzelli. Okay. Um, who claims to have been on the 22nd floor of one of the collapsing towers mm. and actually lived through the fall with only minor inju- injuries. He was knocked unconscious but came to a few hours later on top of a like tall pile mm. of rubble and was found by rescuers. I think he had like a broken wrist or something and that was it. There's a couple of other survivors as well who woke up in the rubble. To be fair, if I had been in New York when that happened... I would have immediately run to the top of a pile of rubble with my boogie board and said I'd boogie boarded there. <laughs> like like when you wake up in the morning and there's a load of snow outside, there's like grab your toboggan. Yes. I would have said I would have done that. Mom, <laughs> I'm going out. I could have had drinks bought for me for years on that. <laughs> you could have been it would have been the fake photo guy, but it would have been the opposite way round, in that it would have been like the pl- the wreckage of the blade in there. But you boogieing, boogie boarding in the background into I shouldn't the side. have given this away because, like, now if people see like a natural disaster happens in uh, in London, they'll know to look out for me running with my boogie board. Need <laughs> <laughs> a boogie board now. Yeah, this was the end of the radical nineties as well. So yeah. I fully believe he was like just searching for any kind of air, <laughs> Cat- catching wave. What surface say? Catching a wave know. or something. Was I don't the know. Whole kind of like surfing lingo. wasn't my thing. Yeah. <laughs> Skateboarding was. Yeah, because I was cool. <laughs> no, it's because you were 15. Yes. That's why it was cool. Me too. Don't, don't <laughs> get me wrong. No, don't get me wrong. Me too. I worked in a skate shop for a summer uh, around the 2000s. Did you? Yeah. Never skated in my life. I did not know you went to the skate shop. Yeah, I worked in a skate shop. <laughs> so you walked in there, it's like, have you ever skated? No. Nope. And they go, it's okay. I see the corn hoodie. Come on in. <laughs> well, it was more like... It's okay. We don't sell any skateboards. We sell T-shirts. Yeah, we, we sell hurley hurley hats. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So moving on. Um, 
Osama bin Laden uh, actually owns Citibank and Snapple. And Snapple. And or Snapple, let's say. Okay. That was another rumour that went round. Okay. Um, so this rumour is supposed to have started when it emerged that um, Awalid bin Talal, the, uh, the Saudi prince and financier, mm. who I think until a few years ago was probably like, he was the proper PR guy for the Saudi royal family and saying, ha we're just modern businessmen, we're just capitalists. Yeah. We're just slotting into this net bunch of billionaires, just yeah. like we're normal people. Um uh, Al-Walid bin Talal had a 4.8% holding of Citibank stock at that time. Now, Snopes says, because I got this from yeah. Snopes, uh, bin Talal has no connections whatsoever with bin Laden or any other terrorist group. Now. Okay. Connections mm. might be very correct, but there is a sense, no links suggesting that there's this vast anonymous gap between... <laughs> to quite prominent members of a very small clique of rich Saudi royals and tycoons. The Bin Laden family are extremely significant in Saudi Arabia. Yes. Um, Not, obviously, the the Osama Bin Laden, but... And Al-Walid Bin Talal is, was, Mm. the most prominent, like, international, like, finance and like real estate guy hmm. that the, the 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 royal family had. Hmm. I don't think they they may not have met. They may have had no connection. It's not like there's no links between yeah. any of that. Yeah. You know, like it's sort of like it reminds me of when you 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 know when the they mentioned Jamal Khashoggi, the, yeah. the Saudi Saudi journalist who was murdered in the in the embassy. Who was just a journalist and nothing else that had only ever been a journalist. Yeah, who was definitely not from the again the very prominent Khashoggi family. Who mm. I think his grandfather was um, king king uh, the original king's um, personal physician mm. for like fifty years. Mm. Um, his uh, he was Adnan Khashoggi's nephew. Adnan oh, Khashoggi. Can you imagine that? Being so wealthy that you get to have a doctor. Just like the idea of having a doctor that I know is my doctor that I get to see. Well, don't worry, you'll be getting it when we have a full US-style healthcare system. <laughs> yeah, but it'd be a different doctor and I wouldn't be able to afford it. Because <laughs> it's, always, it's always a different doctor, it annoys me. The idea um, of having a personal one, like when I was a kid. A personal well, physician. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's Adnan Khashoggi's nephew. Adnan Khashoggi yeah. was the like uh, Saudi arms dealer who was involved in Iran Contra and a number of other very questionable uh, things in 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 the seventies and eighties. Mm. And like he was um, Dodi Al Fayed's cousin. Like uh, Mohammed Al Fayed was yeah. married to his aunt, I think. Okay. Was Dodi uh, Mohammed Al Fayed's first wife? So it's like he's not. Nobody. Yeah. It's also it doesn't mean he was involved in any of those yeah, things or anything. But it's, it, it, they're very it, clear. The freight the framing is that these people are all separate. Yeah. Anyway. That's a that's a that's a very weird one. Um there were a number of kind of uh clap for the NHS style things. Hmm. Um Apparently there was an email that went round that said the NSA are going to take a picture of from orbit. Step outside with a candle at 10.30 at night hmm. and NASA is going to take a satellite picture as a memorial to the attack victims. Pass this on to as many people as possible. Such <laughs> a good email chain. And there were like other variations like um, everybody on this day drive around with your headlights on all day. <laughs> Drain your batteries as a memorial to the victims of 9-11. Jesus. <laughs> Um, and you know like there's the also the on the one year anniversary a year later there was like everybody 
stop at noon, place your hand on your heart and recite the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> just... oh. That's amazing. Um, calculated insults to the dead. Um, obviously, okay. people looked for um, looked at powerful people yeah. after 9-11 and, and suggested things that... Powerful people that were well known to them and suggested that they might have been involved. Mm. One of the things was um, the idea that Microsoft was involved. And mm-hmm. apparently you knew this because if you typed NYC into Microsoft Word, changed the font to, I think, Webdings and then Wingdings. Mm. Had to do it like that. Okay. And then adjusted the size up to uh, 72.4 font size. Okay. You got a skull of crossbone, skull and crossbones, a star of David, and a thumbs up. <laughs> Or you got two buildings, a plane, and an explosion. <laughs> that, okay, yeah. Because naturally, if you were Microsoft and were seeking to hide your involvement in 9-11... <laughs> you would hide this. You'd hide it amongst the least used font, Wingdings. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, right after 9-11, um, about a week after, hmm. there was... Our younger listeners may not particularly remember this, as it is somewhat been memory hold hmm. um, about a week after 9-11 there was an anthrax scare mm-hmm. um, a legitimate one five people died um, letters were sent to senators and like media outlets and, and places like that and was definitely I remember thinking that was the that was a huge kind of factor in making the climate of fear feel like it would last forever Yeah, because it was always going to be a new thing I think after that they started talking about dirty bombs yeah. which was nuclear material inside a normal bomb and it would scatter nuclear material yeah. across a thing despite the fact that that doesn't necessarily really do anything you just yeah. have to clean it up and then it's okay uh, these, these were the kind of ideas that kept you guessing you, you yeah. all your kind of worst all people's worst imaginary impulses were kind of released yeah um, at this point but a number of emails did the rounds saying that uh, if you were to get infected by anthrax mm. that garlic and oil of oregano mm. would help cure you it would protect you from anthrax also ironing your letters before opening them because these were things were delivered like licked oh, yeah. into envelopes yeah um Ironing your letters before opening them were were effective vaccines and treatments for anthrax. <laughs> yeah, it's just very funny in the wake of like COVID pandemic. You know, uh, folk remedies and homeopathic yeah. remedies of like, you know, wearing your mask. Or one thing I did see was like just uh, the COVID can't survive at like sixty degrees. Just heat yourself up until you're sixty degrees. <laughs> be sixty degrees <laughs> all, all time. fine. <laughs> Stick your head fire. in the microwave. Just be on fire. <laughs> um, yeah, those are some of the more like the funny ones that I remember. Have you got any? No, there's like some of these I've never heard. Mm. Um, there's a few more that are kind of more serious mm-hmm. and that sort of really indicate, and and they have been repeated since mm-hmm. because it has happened. Like all the, especially with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, these yeah. kind of things have, have have gone around again. Um. In a in a probably a lesser sense because mm. it's been twenty years, no one gives a shit anymore. Um, the celebrating Arabs of Detroit. Mm. Um, there were reports uh, going round that Arab employees of a Middle Eastern restaurant in the Detroit area cheered and clapped when they saw the nine eleven footage. Um, this ca- this was again more recent because it came up during the Trump years, didn't it? Because Trump said he he saw Arab people celebrating 
in New Jersey, I think it was. So yeah. it's the same thing. He just switched the yeah. town to somewhere nearer to where he was, <laughs> was like, because he would never want to leave New York. It's like, I would be in Detroit, but I do drive through Jersey sometimes. <laughs> um, and it was also, as was usual with Trump, it was never clear whether he actually saw it or saw it on TV. <laughs> so, um, And it, yeah, it just occurred to me that like, yeah, no, for a number of people, that never stopped being true. Yeah. That was that has always been true yeah. for the last twenty years. That has been completely true to mm-hmm. them that it happened. Yeah, you know, um, and I also love this because it also makes the demolition of the World Trade Center seem like it was this long-standing strategic goal of the Ummah. Yeah, like all Muslims, what they want to see is specifically they know exactly what goes on in the World Trade Center. They know exactly what it's for and what it would mean <laughs> if it came down. And all they want is just to wait for that thing. They know yeah. exactly what it means and who did it. Um, you know, it's not just a random hit at the biggest building you could feasibly hit with a plane. Yeah. Chances are you're not even going to really be able to hit the Empire State Building with any kind of degree of accuracy. It's mm. that much smaller. Yeah. Um, and it also kind of assumes a level of knowledge of the links. But like, if you're assuming that they're like all fully paid up Marxists and they're like, yeah, no, we know the links between high finance and mm. the international development and the global imperialist system. And we know exactly how these all function. Mm. And, you know, killing a few Merrill Lynch bankers is uh, America's chickens coming home to roost. Yeah. To quote the man who said it. Um this, this story got kind of warped and embellished over time, you know, that it was actually a Dunkin' Donuts. They desecrated an American flag at the same time. And the, the other one was... Oh, I remember where I was when the towers fell. I was getting a dozen donuts and a coffee, and so I immediately grabbed a flag and desecrated it before continuing <laughs> eating my donuts. <laughs> also, I love that it's like an absolute refusal to even consider what minority employees in well, no. that particular environment no. might feel like you at that very moment. A put-upon American Arab who's hated America the whole time he's been there. And he's getting his Dunkin' Donuts before going to work at the American shop. And he runs out when he sees the towers come down to his pickup and the American flag that's on the back of his pickup because that's how everyone drives around. Why is he carrying an American flag? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> The ISIS flag hadn't been invented yet. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, my favourite one is, is where it got embellished even further, that actually a Budweiser employee was in the shop. It turned into a shop then. Right? Okay. Um, a Budweiser employee saw them and immediately pulled all the Budweiser products from the store as if that's something that you could feasibly do in a short time period. Yeah. Like pulled all the products and then laughed. Ha 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 ha. And then that even got embellished as well to say, and then he told his friend who worked at the Pepsi company and who also owned like Frito-Lays, the, the, um, yeah. the crisps, the Doritos and all that kind of shit. And he got them to withdraw, Pepsi to withdraw all their products from the shop as well. <laughs> That's just baffling. It's amazing. It's like the worst thing we can do is stop you... Drinking Budweiser. You're not going to get a day buzz on. Another a big an- bag of crisps. Another victory for the, for the caliphate. <laughs> no more Budweiser to for fair, anyone. It's annoying having to go further to get a beer. Yeah, but also like Budweiser fucking sucks. I know people like yeah, can, no, but Americans people can are, like what they want. And yeah, but Americans are weird. The Budweiser Americans, sucks. Americans saved them, and especially back then. And I'll drink almost anything. Oh yeah, gotcha. I will drink fucking Holston pills. 
Not Bex though, don't like Bex. Never have, don't know why. Um, Janet Langlois, who was a folklorist, actually tried tracing, like going through and tracing the origin of this mm. one in 2005. She wrote an article in uh, the like American Journal of Folklore, um, tracing it to an email sent in the Detroit area about a specific Arab-American restaurant called yeah. The Sheik okay. that served a diverse community of mainly Jewish and Arab-Americans. The original email reads, My son-in-law, Dr. David Tannenbaum, called me this morning. A nurse from Henry Ford Hospital, where he works, went to The Sheik to pick up lunch today, uh, yesterday, and all the people were cheering as they watched the TV footage of our American tragedy. Do not patronise this restaurant and please pass the word to everyone you know. That is like interesting because that's something that changed because that's basically a chain letter. Mm. Be- and it's like, it's not just, it starts with not just one. Langlois points out that it yeah. start, it's not, not just with one level of hearsay, but mm. two. Mm. My, my son-in-law phoned me that he heard this from another person. Like that yeah. already, like if you're making this up, which they were, yeah. by the way. Um, there was like security camera footage. I think Dunkin' Donuts actually had to produce security camera footage to say, look, this is the entire day on 9-11. Here are yeah. all our employees. None Just of them are cheering. <laughs> um, if it's fake, why not just say that you saw them? Mm, mm. You know what I mean? It's, it's interesting that you have to give it this kind of community feel because it automatically excludes the people who aren't going to be on that, that yeah. email or that yeah. letter. You know, yeah. pass the word. Don't you want to be in the in-group that we know the truth about what's happening at that fucking Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah, like, and please pass the word to everyone you know. Yeah. You know, like, you're still primarily operating in meat space. You're yeah. still, that's where your verification and that's where your action takes place. It's not an internet boycott. People mm. are communicating the stuff on the internet, but the action and the, the, the actual, like, activity doesn't, doesn't happen on the like, internet yet. It doesn't matter, because it's like, I remember when I was, when I was a plumber for a while, and me and my stepfather would get most of our news of the goings, the obviously untrue goings on of Muslims from the plumbing supply shops. Mm. And it would, there would all, like every other week, there'd be something that the person behind the thing, like, did you hear? Really? Yeah, they just don't uh, straight up say it. Oh yeah, did you? Did it what didn't you come up because that's how I usually. To be fair, I felt they, I think they felt comfortable saying that to my stepfather because he had a lifetime of being a racist <laughs> <laughs> and, and put the, put their minds at ease. Ah, okay. So trust and verify. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, like, I was just they, they just, just assumed that I was like him, even though like at that point I had, like just <laughs> this long hair, metal shirts, obviously not wanted to be there, <laughs> just being forced to do that because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, enough of these urban legends were kind of readily believed and, and mm. because they were forwarded. Mm. Uh, Langlois actually in the article does question people who had received the email and then forwarded it on. And they said, Well, why did you forward it on? Yeah. And most of them didn't believe it, but they still forwarded it on. Mm. They said, Yeah, because I wanted people to find out for themselves, to, uh. to verify it for themselves. It's like it wasn't true. It's none part of, it, of the marketplace of, of ideas. True. Yeah. I'm not against cancel culture and cancelling this obvious story. <laughs> it would be too convenient. Yeah. Way too convenient. Speaking of convenient though, mm-hmm. this is even more this is even more ludicrous, but this is also probably more shared, mm-hmm. I'd say, at the time. Fizzled out probably, but um this one's the thankful stranger. Okay. This could be a fucking parable. This might as well be Aesop Aesop's fables or some shit like that, like an ancient Indo European story that has made its way down to 
this point in our history. Mm-hmm. Um, Thankful Stranger. So the classic form of it is there was a queue in a shop or on a bu- for a bus or for a train or something like that. And a woman is standing behind a, uh, a, a person who is a few pennies short of their bill or their fare. Um, a Middle Eastern man, usually. Um, so the woman, being a kind person, pays the difference. The man thanks her for her kindness, maybe saying something about the value of hospitality or generosity in his culture, marking him out as foreign. Yeah, it's important. It's important that he doesn't just look it, but his manners are different as well. Uh, and he says, well, as you were so kind to me, I want to give you some advice. Stay home on Halloween and don't go to shopping centres or firework displays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Obviously, tons of different variations. Um, some told in the aftermath... Um, Sometimes, you know, it's like a, a guy telling his girlfriend not to fly mm-hmm. on September the 11th because something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it shows this need for there to have been people, preferably a minority, but a plentiful minority who knew what yeah. goes on, um, to have foreknowledge of yeah. those events. Knowledge equals guilt. You can mm-hmm. easily tar a Middle Eastern man who talks about his culture yeah. as something that is foreign and who is likely to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to, you know, stereotype about jihadists. <laughs> Yeah. But I'm going to assume they're not all that bothered about engaging yeah. in that way. Maybe just I'm like, wrong. Maybe no, I'm wrong. Like, Maybe they're tons like, of polite. No, but you know, like your um, your whole goal is the downfall of American civilization, American the American machine. It is. My goal is that. Yeah. yeah. That's all you want to do. True. Now, um, you the the day is coming. It's very soon. But our day is coming. Yeah. Hugh. But our day is coming. I am. 20p short for the bus. <laughs> but, Luckily, this woman... The mullah, the, mullah, the mullah did not prepare me for this. This is fucking bullshit. I've got an engineering degree. I can fly that Cessna out there, but 20p. And then, because someone gave me that 20p, I ruined the whole thing. <laughs> because I don't want to. I don't want to. But my culture... <laughs> I'm late. I'm late for my crashing. Because of this 20p. Ah, oh, thank you. Ridiculous. Because I don't even think it's like a missive to stop being generous, like kind to strangers or doing those little holding a door open or something. Yeah. It's not that. No. It's this idea that, like, yeah, there are just people embedded within your yeah. community. You know, yeah, don't te- trust any of them. Yeah. Basically, there's a, 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 a message there of don't be, well, be nice to them because they might have a secret, but don't trust them because they have secrets. Yeah, they all know each other, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The terror comes from all around you. It could strike anywhere, but also it has a face as well. Yeah. It is and it's, it's like simultaneously the fireworks display. <laughs> well, it's a perfect place to hide an explosion. Because we're still operating on explosions. We're we're operating yeah, also, on suicide. Eventually also, it would transfer to suicide. The whole attacks, point but... of the explosion is like it's the politics of the, the deed. It's the it's yes. the extravagant propaganda of the yeah, deed. That's yeah. It, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you don't want to hide it in a bunch of other explosions. <laughs> They'll never know. Yeah. It's like, I did it. I blew it up. I, what they didn't know is when they were demolishing that building, I snuck a the little bomb in. Michael... I snuck one little bomb in there as well. <laughs> Michael Corleone-ing this, yeah. this bitch. Yeah. Like, waiting until the train goes past and then set off the bomb. <laughs> Honey? Honey? Where did you go? <laughs> oh no! Mini explosion at this fireworks display. Um, but yeah, it's, you know... It, it chimes with one that came up afterwards as well, that like there were 7-Eleven employees, like mm-hmm. their version of the corner shop, often staffed by Indian or Middle Eastern employees, um, that everyone knows. 
Yeah. Everyone knows. There are terror plots out there. Everyone knows. Because, thank fuck, in the wake of 9-11, thank fuck at least someone knows. Yeah. Because this didn't appear to be... Like, no one knew about this. Yeah. No one knew that... They, like, if you were, like, in Afghanistan and someone said that, I imagine you went, <laughs> yeah, whatever. So, yeah. I know, seriously, I'm planning it. No. I'm going to crash a, crash a jet into the, into the Twin Towers. Mm. Um, you know, there are other kind of, like... Uh, the the Seven Eleven like store chain they're everywhere um, like I say staffed by um, uh, people of Middle Eastern origin perhaps they are perhaps they aren't mm. um, but also like the idea that the parent company was owned by Osama bin Laden right was, again fear of global capital yeah. and faceless faceless nature of global capitalism um, because he owned it because of an earlier ploy to kill Americans with the bad hot dogs that you can get in a 7-Eleven. <laughs> um, there was another one on July 11th. Every single 7-Eleven store, see 7-Eleven, July 7th, uh, has been instructed to unleash attacks on their surrounding <laughs> neighbourhoods. This includes blowing up the stores themselves. They're going to spit in the slushy machines. <laughs> using, They're going to do it on July 11th. Using dirty nuclear bombs as well as conventional explosives. Outright assaults on the American people. The American people, all of them just, at once. Yeah, just all of them. Uh, a major, this will cause a major disruption in all American cities. Please be aware, aware of this danger. Like, okay. Yeah, be aware. Presumably this is like a week before or a fortnight before. What the fuck are you going to do? If that You're going to really go to 7-Eleven. Yeah, but also, you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. You're doing fuck all. There's this kind of, like, desire to be subjected to it because it gives you justification for the things that you're already doing. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? That definitely came up after after 9-11, like the war on terror. You couldn't really be a part of it, but this was a way you could be a part of it. It's tied into the... um, When they started doing the We Are At Terror alert... Um, maroon yeah because that's another conspiracy theory it's like there's absolutely it's again keys in with this idea of foreknowledge at Mm. least it's reassuring because at least someone knows Mm -hmm. whereas you know if 9-11 was repeated 9-11 was not repeated Mm. it was not repeated at all except Mm. every day by Americans on (laughs) Afghanistan Um, but at least someone knows that was comforting to people I think um and yeah, like I say, lots of variations of like women in burkas buying all the cell phones in a shop, gas station attendants um, asking troops who come in where they're shipping out to, or um, you know, gas station clerks asking where need, where people can buy no, look, guns. Look, we need spies to because we need to know where American American troop movements. That's a very important thing that we need to know if we're going to be fighting the American military. Now we could get spies in the American military or. What we do is every single gas station employee we need to compromise. We in turn, in case <laughs> someone mentions something when they're buying petrol and condoms. <laughs> but I'm Korean. <laughs> ah, fuck off. Into the camps you go. It's just like, oh god. Um, yeah, this this theme of insider knowledge continues with this old favourite, which kind of hits the opposite yeah. end of the social spectrum. Jewish people getting a phone call yeah. telling them not to go to work. Mm. Uh, this started as early as September 21st, 2001. Um, 4,000 Jewish people who worked at the Dual Trade Center called in sick on the day of the attacks, said the rumor. Um, and this came largely from a Syrian-owned Al-Thawra, mm. I'm not pronouncing that correctly, uh, newspaper. 
this story was seen by the enemies of Israel as evidence that the country had foreknowledge of the attacks and that may have been a collaborator. Mm -hmm. Again, with the obvious foreign policy consequences that the US would continue to support Israel in the Intifada, which was then ongoing, um, and against their enemies in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, You know, it's a a fairly traditional trope to, you know, Four thousand Jewish people working in the World Trade Center. I'm going to say there were not. No, because they're big buildings. But how many people actually worked in the whole thing? Well, I mean, I don't know how many evacuated, but I mean, considering it was, it was less than three thousand who died. It can't have been that much more who survived or evacuated in those few hours, Mm. right? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, There's also kind of uh, stories about a lot of stories about. uh, billionaires selling mm. stock. Um, there was a there oh, was there's a, one here that I know is true that Bill Gates he makes it, you got it wrong here because Bill Gates got rid of all of his shares in the Klokolosh stand. <laughs> yeah, he loves it. He can't get enough of it. Yeah, and he he, he warned him the day off because <laughs> he knew and he wanted to save it. Gave him a free copy of gave him a free copy of Q, of uh, Fusion Frenzy. And... <laughs> what is that meat on a stick? It's just meat on a stick, isn't it? Okay, okay, let's think about this. It's crab juice. It looks like kind of ball, gooey ball-like meat on a stick. Uh, the guy looks kind of Eastern European, somewhere from the World Island. Yeah. So somewhere between Bangladesh <laughs> and Morocco. Yeah. Um, I am going to say some form of... Lamb. Lamb. <laughs> with, with crab a, juice. With a sauce and a crab juice. Delicious. It does sound lovely. Anyway... Um, there was one, a lot of stuff about um, people selling selling mm. stocks. Um, there was a lot of, apparently there was a lot of stock shorting of American Airlines in like the month before September yeah. the 11th. It was so unusual that it was actually even investigated by the 9-11 Commission huh. that said it was not particularly unusual, but the result of a couple of big buyers. Yeah, mm. Don't know, don't know. There was one that was actually true, um, in a sense. Mm. Um, the leaseholder of the World Trade Center, Larry Silverstein, bought terrorism insurance two months before 9-11. He signed a 99-year lease on the site uh, in June 2001, two months before the attacks. And then after 9-11, he took the insurance company to court, claiming he should be paid double because there were two attacks. (laughs) That's actually true, but not particularly out of the ordinary for a person who has to, considering it had been attacked in 1993 as well. There was a bomb in the car park. Um, And also rebuilding the towers. Uh, He was eventually awarded uh, 4.5 billion, uh, but rebuilding the towers cost nine billion. So, well, it's, it, it, you know, yeah. other investors and yeah. leaseholders and stock, yeah, whatever. But yeah, that notion of foreknowledge—that there was a yeah. group of people, a special group of people, who knew what was going to happen before it happened—was yeah. around with a lot of stuff. And you can tell that it's more interesting to examine the kind of class profile of the people who these conspiracy theories were obviously aimed at. Yeah. So you think about it. You've got the Seven Eleven employee and the the Middle Eastern guy, the racially otherized guy. So you've got socially like service jobs, socially you know lower down the totem pole, mm. socially subservient jobs, racially other, mm-hmm. and you've also got conspirators above, knowledgeable, cynical, moving money around, and it's like it's it's like pujadism, mm. which is like a, a, a that was the name for the political movement of like small shopkeepers and owner proprietors and entrepreneurs in France in the 50s mm. who when they're facing comp- they're facing like organized labor and competition from global global capital mm. it's a 
it's a form of fascism. It's a niche like form yeah. of fascism, and you know you can see that coming out in Reaganism, Thatcherism. You can see certain elements of we're the squeezed middle, yeah, that kind of thing, and that's who these conspiracy theories were were aimed at. I think, yeah, you know. As we mentioned before, like it's very interesting that notions of foreknowledge play very heavily in like the post nine eleven kind of security yeah. state, the predictive alert levels based on yeah. like credible intelligence. Yeah. Somebody knows, thank God. Everyone knew that they were always under threat forever, but only certain people were ever accepted as having specific foreknowledge. The intelligence leading up to the Iraq war, that was heavily based on, oh, we know. You, mm-hmm. We can't tell you, but mm-hmm. we know. We definitely know that it's definitely going to happen. There's going to be a mushroom cloud. It's all going to happen. Um, that, that attitude is what went into why they were all doing the, oh, I don't want to listen to your hipster analysis, the notion that they knew more, that they had a better understanding of epidemiology because of their sources. And it's like, no, no, viruses just move. Yeah, yeah. You know, we talked last week about like stuff like The Siege and Armageddon had that like death instinct going on. But there were like other TV shows that predicted it as well, like Lone Gunman and... Mm. That like people went hunting for like in cartoons like Johnny Bravo and Simpsons with the holding the in the New York episode holding yeah. the silhouette with a nine eleven up. Um, they even got down to Back to the Future like saying like, oh if you the time when he's attacked by terrorists is one sixteen a.m. or nine eleven if you turn it upside down and it's like <laughs> yeah okay. Um, one of my favorite like uh, post nine eleven uh, TV things. Yeah. So there was a rumour that went around that Sylvester Stallone was in seclusion writing <laughs> Rambo 4 after 9-11. Yeah. And it was going to be about him going after Osama Bin Laden. Excellent. This rumour originated with a, a mention in The, the Times. Okay. Uh, Stallone 55 is at his Miami home working on the script of a fourth Rambo film in which the former Green Beret parachutes into Afghanistan to take on the Taliban. Now, wasn't Rambo 3 set in Afghanistan with so, him yeah. helping the people who had become the Taliban. <laughs> like that's he helps the sea he's yeah. rescuing the his 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 colonel. Yeah. But he's also that's part of a mission to help the CIA supply the Mujahideen fighting the Soviets. Yep. You know, so he just like 10 years later turns up in Afghanistan. It's exactly the same cast as all of his Mujahideen <laughs> friends. But, you know, they welcome him. They've got a banner out. They're going to welcome him. They've baked him a cake. <laughs> I'm so glad and, that Rambo's come back. Uh, Rambo, you're back. John Rambo, how you been doing? He just crossbows them all in Kabul Airport. <laughs> they would have done that. They 100% would have made that film. Of course, we couldn't end without mentioning the ultimate 9-11 conspiracy theory which is that the one that would also ironically get most people the most hot that would get the most hostile reception in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 that 9-11 was the result of a decades-long u.s policy of picking winners and losers among states in the middle east and the world of arming proxies to defeat their geopolitical enemies the clandestine emboldening and money movements of the saudi intelligence services and a conscious ramping up and embracing of wahhabist islam as a method to both defang third world communism and to shore up allied domestic dictators. But, you know, <laughs> until the actual kind of narrative of the war on terror was sort of solidified and, yeah. and the Bush neocon people kind of got their stuff together, probably they had it They had it together as well. They were already, they were immediately going to invade Afghanistan, but yeah. they started kind of five months after the uh, attacks were the, was the Axis of Evil mm-hmm. thing, where they set out their particular new world order. Yeah. Um, in the absence of kind of an officially guided story to tell about 9-11, in the absence of a master narrative to fill in the gaps of things that they, people couldn't... 
people didn't know what was going on, yeah. so people couldn't say what was going on. But you have to talk about it. Mm. There was an attempt to kind of like screen a lot of it out. People like people removed pictures of buildings from art galleries mm. because it might remind people of nine eleven, the thing that people were just talking about. Yeah. Those kind of like, that like mixed reactions of we can't look at it but we have to talk about it yeah. all the time it was a very weird notion of an event that was mediated entirely through imagery and through moving imagery for the, mm. probably the first time um, people ha- were searching for kind of the right theory and information to plug into the gap largely because the story kind of got completely fashioned around American patriotism and supporting the troops once the neocons got hold of it and and poured into a foreign policy agenda that enough people could get on board with and support. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've been thinking recently, especially over the last few years with like Corbyn stuff and conspiracy theories and things like that, that the debate around conspiracy theories has become kind of shaped by the idea that it's only outsiders who hold these beliefs or ideas. It's become yeah. another weapon to kind of police discourse around around controversial events. Yeah. The basic modern liberal concern around conspiracy, including kind of QAnon and COVID as well, is that it's ultimately just bad information mm-hmm. and it stops there. There's no sociological discussion of, of what the types of people this appeals to. There's no yeah. reasoning why this is so popular because there's a bunch of theories going out there and some get popular and some get dropped and there is a reason for that and if you can look at that reasoning you can understand more about the world you're dealing with and it's one of the main problems like libs have had dealing with brexit Mm -hmm. dealing with trump is that they have refused to engage with the reality of what they think and these are conspiracy theories like these are prime like artifacts and, Mm -hmm. and and exhibit a of who these people are yeah um but it's just get it it it's it has gotten to the stage now with conspiracy theories where often very realistic things are just dismissed simply mm-hmm. because it's actually uncomfortable for critics to admit that the powerful would act in a way contrary to the way they, they think they would. It's almost like the same the same burden that's on someone like Alex Jones, mm-hmm. whose response to demonic forces inhabiting human forms to put people in FEMA camps and turn them gay yeah. is to host a TV show and sell brain pills. But that's also the burden on the sensible liberal who, after decades of documentary evidence on atrocity, war and murder, have to completely ignore the mode in which that information is delivered because if they didn't and did nothing about it, they would have to give up their own self-image. Yeah. You know, they can't, for some reason, they have a real problem with appearing like hypocrites, even though that's exactly what they are. You know, you can't even now really... I've seen opposition to the idea that the British government worked to cover up and impede the investigations around Bloody Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know, they wanted to protect the soldiers who murdered 14 British civilians. Mm. And yet, someone will will and has piped Mm -hmm. in about, oh, it's it's a conspiracy theory. Oh, it's Russian disinformation. It's designed to undermine your patriotism. That's liberals. Mm -hmm. They they fully are the the 9-11 generation now, almost. You know? They have that same thing. Corbyn was a conspiracy theorist, yeah. a bad person for producing the NHS dossier. However, the people who stated he was a Czech spy or that he was going to reopen Auschwitz, they were not conspiracy theorists. Mm-hmm. Still have jobs and still must be listened to. And fucking remember when um, hacks were trying to disprove the notion that the Manchester bombings were a consequence yeah. of foreign policy and who's going on that. And then everyone agreed with Corbyn yeah. because he said that. It's an attitude of 
my conspiracy theory is politics. Yours is is dangerous, and it's yeah. it's way more based on like your social and class profile than it is on actual information and actual evidence. Yeah. Um, and there's one final thing about kind of conspiracy theories I just wanted to to talk about because it it really sits with me when you're thinking about conspiracy theories. There's this real tenseness in left wing circles. I was going to talk about doing an episode about it but I couldn't really put it into words and it was mm. I kind of didn't want to go down on either side but there's a tenseness in left wing circles around conspiracy theories I think the portrayal of someone as a quote unquote crank mm-hmm. kind of operates on those same lines of social acceptability it largely swings around how the ideas and theories that people broadcast are received I think that cleavage was a significant one within Corbynism mm-hmm. who would who was labelled as a conspiracy theorist and who was not and the line got blurred mm. as you as you went through it I think um, and I think that cleavage within Corbynism persists in the left now the mm. way it's left in whatever state it is the people who united around Corbyn and I think it, it it boils down to you're either someone who doesn't like to be called it and someone who revels in being called it as like a badge of individual outsider status and, and notoriety yeah. I'm desperately trying not to talk as if I particularly support or believe one side or another because I think on the one hand going wild all the time shouting about particular things loses you so you loses yourself some perspective and makes it very easy for people to bait you mm. and like waste your time following up every single slight and making yeah. a correction on every single person who who crosses and you get sucked into that internet way of living yeah not necessarily as a result of being a conspiracy theorist or, or voicing those kind of those kind of like opinions or, or theories but like on the other hand, it's actually kind of fucked as a socialist or a left winger to desire not desire a left wing movement to have a general principle of existing outside the established power and media complex about yeah. not believing the things that they are telling you mm-hmm. specifically because it's them who are telling you. Yeah. You know, and it's hard not to have a sense of like overarching conspiracy when there are large swathes of our lives that do not really have a a decent larger narrative to them. And we've talked before about how magical thinking increases when the material conditions around people appear magical. And, you know, yeah. you, you being dramatically exposed to blowback from decades of US foreign policy is pretty magical if you find out about it on the afternoon of 9-11. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it was in Adam Curtis's hypernormalization. I saw footage of the war on terror and I saw footage of US soldiers going around collecting biometric data from Afghan villagers. Um, mm. Uh, mouths like men gathered inside huts they're swabbing the ears they're swabbing the inside of the mouth and I thought I've never fucking seen this footage before yeah. and yet presumably all that stuff just came out of the BBC archives like the rest yeah. of his stuff where had it where had it been, where had it been hiding yeah you know um, like I've, I've wondered like if there is archive there's f- footage that you know like at the start of Covid when there was all that footage of Italian hospitals yes and there must have been stuff recorded in British hospitals hmm. there must have been at least one journalist somewhere who like recorded some of the outside mortuaries that were being put up and things like that. Yeah. But we never saw any footage of that until maybe it's because they have to they have to record it because Adam Curtis is going to use it eventually. Yeah. And that's <laughs> they've the got point. to keep him going until you point, know his eighties. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, like it's not it's not a controversial point that media is manipulated, but there seems to be a a real resistance to that among certain groups of people. It's a fairly standard like media theory that you are not getting, not getting the story that matters to you. You're not getting the story that tells you anything about your life. It tells other people's, other classes' stories about 
your life. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was that, like, uh, video going around the other day of James O'Brien talking to the guy about why he... What was the... I can't remember what the overarching question was, but eventually, he, essentially, he, he reeled off a load of stories he'd heard... Um, he, yes, I, the one I remember okay. was uh, the they that, were gonna they, the, the school kids took a trip to the slavery museum and the white kids weren't allowed to go. Yeah, there was there was a guy who was going on about how, and it goes on. It went on for ages. It was yeah. like ages. This guy who was saying that at the council they do courses in wokery essentially, and Jason Brown's like, what are these courses? Just name one of them. And he's and the best who was at the end is like, I can't name them because as soon as I say, you'll know what I am. And then you immediately believed him. <laughs> but yeah, but every single one of those yeah. stories are that, oh, you won't hear this yeah. on the media. That's yeah. fucking everybody because mm. of course you don't hear it on the media. Mm. It's become increasingly obvious that you don't hear anything mm. relating to your life on the media. You know, people who relay these stories, they don't think of it, what they're doing as politics, but it's, it is. It's the mm. pra- All their stories concern the practice of everyday life and like exceptional things that they have seen in it that structure the way they see the world and the way they see the world is it's a load of hidden forces moving chess pieces around presumably like i don't know being forced to eat halal chocolate Mm -hmm. is forces moving around eventually to the day you just wake up and you're muslim yeah right because that's the the end goal of that but of course people can't structure it they can only structure the base they can't structure the the full story yeah right um, these stories are only occasionally visible above the surface through what, the, like, he doesn't see, that guy doesn't see anything explaining to him about the way his world works because the world has, if he is anywhere close to an average person, the world is fucked. The energy market is fucked. Housing housing is fucked. Your kids' futures are kind of fucked depending on what like, class they come mm. from. And, you know, what are Elsa stories about critical race theory, Muslims, forced re-education doing, but filling in for him, explaining how the, how the world works, you know? You feel like unaccountable, shadowy, small groups make decisions beyond the remit of your knowledge or for popular decision-making, and that these decisions occasionally involve murder and subterfuges. Like, yeah, that sounds like everything. Mm-hmm. Um there only seem to be a very, very few people left who believe that that's not the case. Whatever the actual dynamics of who those groups are and, and the stories that they believe, they're all there to fill in a gap that has been left woefully untended by the media and by our story of what we tell ourselves about why we're fucking even doing all of this. Mm. You know, yeah, we're all conspiracists now. That's us for this week. Uh, you, oh, fuck, I don't know what I That's us for this week. You can follow us at wdtatw underscore podcast. Follow Ooh. me at bm bergamo. Follow Hugh at struggle ruffians. Yeah. And Hugh, you are streaming this week. Yeah, I stream on Monday, Friday, and a Sunday. On Sunday. Sunday's kind of blue, which by which I mean Ultramarines blue. <laughs> I'm not going to paint Ultramarines. <laughs> on Sundays, I it's a very chill me painting stream and. I'm going to start maybe crowdsourcing some of our award nominees. Ooh, if anyone point, wants yes. to watch and voice like this was a thing that I thought was funny. I don't think we could necessarily take submissions via oh. DMs. Well, I mean, yes, yeah, submit so you, via DMs if you, you want. You can, but if you want to, if you want to natter about last year. But this might be a... <laughs> last year, while I 
My goal on Sunday is I've got to paint about 50 layers of, thin layers of white paint. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's uh, this week. Yeah. Thanks very much. Bye. Fighting am the least about the fighting game When Mr. Hoover said to cut my...